Two years ago, Americans watched in horror as a crisis unfolded at the Kabul airport. She was tear gassed and beaten. Images of thousands desperate to escape Taliban oppression filled our news feeds. More than 80,000 Afghans made it to America. But the story didn't end there. It was very cold. There was no power, no heat. Who would help our newest neighbors? I'm Andrea Smartin. In Stranger Becomes Neighbor, you'll hear the stories of some remarkable refugees who left their homes and their dreams behind only to start over from zero. Their only possession was three blankets. And you'll meet Americans who stepped up to help them. You want me to come when you deliver your baby. What can one person do in the face of an international disaster decades in the making? That's Stranger Becomes Neighbor. Find us at kslpodcast.com, follow us on Apple Podcasts, or anywhere else you listen. Inside Sources. Inside Sources. On KSL News Radio 102.7 FM and 1160 AM. Welcome back to Inside Sources. I am Boyd Matheson, opinion editor at the Deseret News. Elder Quentin L. Cook, a member of the Quorum of the Twelve Apostles of the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints, spoke Monday to Brigham Young University faculty. It was fascinating. In his address, Elder Cook laid out how individuals, organizations, and institutions can respond to criticism, how divisive rhetoric can lead to cancel culture and inaccurate history, and how such an approach prevents elevated conversations, deeper dialogue, and real progress in our society. I love this. Elder Cook then viewed the principles through the lens of Christian understanding and respect and then applied them to race and religion. Elder Cook began by looking at criticism, particularly how we look back at history. Most of the criticism I am describing is calculated to be as powerful, direct, and divisive as the proponent can achieve. Whether it is meant to destroy faith is always an open question. When criticism is directed at the church and or BYU, it is always difficult to know how or when to respond or whether to respond at all. We live in a day when people are dismissive, highly critical, or disparaging of prior leaders, whether in government, academia, or religious leaders, including our own. I love what Matt Groh, our incredible managing director of church history, cautioned about this approach. Quote, Be careful about sources of information that just seek to tear people down. Look instead for sources of information that are based on the records left by the people themselves and that seek to be fair to them. It is really easy to play gotcha with the past, to pull a quotation or incident out of context and make it look alarming. Brother Groh continues, As a historian, I try to follow the advice of a British novelist He said, the past is a foreign country. They do things differently there. That means when we visit the past, we don't want to be an ugly tourist. We want to try to understand people within their own context and their own culture. We want to be patient with what we perceive as their faults. We want to be humble about the limits of our own knowledge. And we want to have a spirit of charity about the past, end quote. Most criticism is based on words or actions that are taken out of context. The big picture is seldom painted. I really appreciated how Elder Cook got to this idea that most criticism is based on action that's taken out of context. It's so easy to do sweeping generalities as we look back at history. And this whole idea of gotcha history never gets us anywhere. 
One of the things that Elder Cook went into next was how do we respond to criticism, whether it's current criticism or criticism of past actions by institutions or individuals or leaders. Here's what he had to say. I have a difficult time explaining to friends and even colleagues in different faiths why the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints handles criticism the way it does. We are certainly among the least aggressive in defending ourselves against obviously untrue and or unfair criticism. I offer as Exhibit A our decision or lack of decision to react to the Book of Mormon musical. One leader of another faith pointed out to me that there is not another religion that would not have responded with a hailstorm of righteous indignation at the crude, vicious, and reprehensible portrayal of our faith and our missionaries. Rather than organize a major protest or boycott, the church bought ads in the playbill that simply said, you've seen the play, now read the book with a picture of the Book of Mormon. Just because the church or BYU administrators do not respond, never assume that the criticism is justified. As I have indicated, many criticisms are not worthy of a response. And in many cases, the Christian thing to do is not respond and to turn the other cheek. I think what Elder Cook hit on there is a challenge for many of us. When do you respond to criticism and when do you actually ignore it? I think it's important what he said in terms of don't assume that just because an institution or organization, an individual doesn't respond to criticism, don't assume that that means it's justified. Uh, I think uh, Elder Cook has this amazing way with his brilliant legal mind to, to frame that particular conversation in a way that is really powerful and important for us to reflect on. Uh, I always love to say that uh, don't assume that a happy warrior is not a warrior. Uh, just because someone may be quiet in a certain instance, they may have more insight or they may have a longer view in terms of what really matters in the end. The other thing that uh, was fascinating in this address by Elder Quentin L. Cook of the Quorum of the Twelve Apostles of the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints on Monday down at BYU to faculty, uh, he shared some really interesting insight from his own life and applied a lot of these principles we've been talking about in this segment to areas of race and religion. He started by sharing something that went all the way back to 1956, an event in Washington, D.C., when he participated in Boys Nation. In the summer of 1956, when I was almost 16 years old, I was elected from Utah Boys State to be one of the two senators to attend Boys Nation in Washington, D.C. Our accommodations were at the University of Maryland at College Park. At breakfast on the first morning, suddenly, most of the young men from the South stood on their chairs and sang Dixie. I did not have a clue what was going on, but I could see that one African-American from the Northeast was visibly uncomfortable. This concerted action seemed very inappropriate, but I did not understand all the implications. One of the reasons I was surprised is because in my home, kindness and fairness for all Heavenly Father's children was emphasized particularly by my mother. A highlight of Boys Nation for me was to meet then-President Dwight D. Eisenhower in the Rose Garden of the White House. He was one of the most impressive men I have ever met. His deportment and bearing, his piercing blue eyes, and his commanding manner of address made an indelible impression on me. Senator Wallace F. Bennett of Utah hosted the two of us who were representing Utah. He was gracious and kind and devoted considerable time to us. He had introduced us to then-Senators John F. Kennedy, 
and Lyndon B. Johnson, as well as then-Vice President Richard M. Nixon, all of whom would be future presidents. The topic of civil rights was significant at that time. It was at Boys Nation that I was first introduced to the religious-based effort led by Dr. Martin Luther King to achieve equality. The joint release by President Nelson on behalf of the church and the leadership of the NAACP calling on people to demonstrate greater civility, racial and ethnic harmony, and mutual respect is also an excellent example of doing the right thing in the right way. You know, this release that Elder Cook talked about with President Russell M. Nelson of the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints and many of the leaders of the NAACP calling on people to demonstrate greater civility, racial and ethnic harmony and mutual respect uh, is a real thing. I've watched them interact. I've seen President Nelson with Amos Brown, uh, his pastor of the historic Third Baptist Church of San Francisco, and they've shown that we can have these conversations in a different way. Going back to Elder Cook's talk down at BYU on Monday, he spoke of the civil rights leaders of yesterday and today and how each of us can begin to apply those principles of faith and understanding of humanity to move the conversation forward. Looking back, one of the most impressive elements of the civil rights movement of the 1960s was how many leaders like Martin Luther King Jr. and those surrounding him, including the recently deceased John Lewis, were motivated by their devotion to Christianity. They emphasized the Bible and wanted fairness and equality for all the children of God. It is clear from numerous media reports and observed public comments that some people involved in today's various movements are deeply opposed to religion and people of faith. This does not diminish the religious and secular reasons for equal treatment of all of God's children, which resonates with me to the depths of my soul. However, I am concerned when much of the discussion is an attack on faith and belief, often reframing and distorting our history. Some intentionally or not are trying to undermine our country's founding history and the United States Constitution. Whether by intention or by myopia, both effects are regrettable. In concluding his remarks on Monday, Elder Cook told the faculty at BYU of a prominent European Jewish leader, who said that America can't remain the leader of the free world if it convinces itself that it is inherently and irredeemably racist. Continuing to quote the rabbi, Elder Cook said this and then concluded with the focus on religious liberty. Yes, the U.S. has not always lived up to its ideals, but to claim that the founding's promissory note was never anything but a scam to maintain the system of white oppression is ahistorical revisionism that will erode the country's foundation. We all support peaceful efforts to overcome racial and social injustice. This needs to be accomplished. My concern is that some are also trying to undermine the U.S. Constitution and Bill of Rights that has blessed this country and protected people of all faiths. We need to protect religious freedom. So here are my takeaways from what we've heard in this segment from Elder Quentin L. Cook of The Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. Proper perspective of history, restrained reaction to criticism, powerful application of principles to today's problems will always result in real progress for the nation on race, equality, religion, and freedom. I'm Boyd Matheson, opinion editor of the Deseret News. Stay with us. Much more to come on KSL.
Two years ago, Americans watched in horror as a crisis unfolded at the Kabul airport. She was tear gassed and beaten. Images of thousands desperate to escape Taliban oppression filled our news feeds. More than 80,000 Afghans made it to America. But the story didn't end there. It was very cold. There was no power, no heat. Who would help our newest neighbors? I'm Andrea Smartin. In Stranger Becomes Neighbor, you'll hear the stories of some remarkable refugees who left their homes and their dreams behind only to start over from zero. Their only possession was three blankets. And you'll meet Americans who stepped up to help them. You want me to come when you deliver your baby. What can one person do in the face of an international disaster decades in the making? That's Stranger Becomes Neighbor. Find us at kslpodcast.com, follow us on Apple Podcasts, or anywhere else you listen.